This program is brought to you by Haymarket Books as part of the Socialism 2022 program. You can hear more recorded sessions from the conference by subscribing to the Socialism Conference podcast feed. Many video recordings are also available at socialismconference.org. If you enjoy these recordings, keep an eye on socialismconference.org for updates about the next Socialism Conference and how you can participate. You can help support the Haymarket Project by buying books at haymarketbooks.org and especially by joining the Haymarket Book Club. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and the Haymarket YouTube channel to access all of our upcoming events. If you really want to help us out, rate and review the podcast on Apple or whatever platform you're listening on. Hi, everyone. How you all doing? Great. I'm excited to be here. My name is Gabrielle. I'm a community organizer with City Life, Vida Urbana. I came to City Life in 2015 because I was facing um, a housing crisis. I uh, was facing uh, foreclosure. I didn't know what to do. I had fought, I was fighting with my bank. I had done it for five years and I couldn't win my case. Um, and then a stranger. So it's important to be a good stranger. A neighbor, a stranger came, uh, found me talking about my situation. She told me, I have an answer for you. And I was like, what is it? What is it? Because I've been trying for five years. She told me city life, city life is the answer. Go and get some help because my background is in finance and taxation. I had actually owned the mortgage company. So I know how to do mortgages. I know how to do it. But for some reason, because I was by myself, I wasn't able to get an answer. I wasn't able to get solutions. When I went to City Life, I got the solution not only for myself, but ever since then, I've been paying it forward, helping my neighbors, being a good neighbor. So I'm very excited to be here. We get to share a lot about what City Life does and how we help families every day. My focus has shifted from, I was telling my comrade here, I used to go to conferences, capitalist conferences, now I go to socialism conferences. <laughs> so I'm excited. Buenas tardes, soy Zafiro Patiño, soy de Argentina, nací en Argentina eh, en los años 70 durante la dictadura militar. Mi familia se exiló a la Ciudad de México, eh, eh, luego vine a Estados Unidos, en los, en los años 80 llegué a Boston, eh, en el año 1999-2000 eh, confronté eviction, eh, desplazamiento forzado en mi edificio y me acerqué a City Life, Vida Urbana, este, quienes me dieron las herramientas para poder este, realmente enfrentar esta problemática de desalojo y a partir de ahí realmente me acerqué a ellos. Hoy día estoy trabajando con City Life, Vida Urbana, este, como organizadora en Jamaica Plain, que es un barrio de Boston, eh, que también con el borde con eh, el, Hi, everybody. I'm Sabrina Davis. I'm a leader with KC Tenants in Kansas City, Missouri. I've been a leader with the group, with our organization since May of 2021. I helped organize and win the right to counsel in Kansas City last year. Yeah. Uh, and that was because I have experience with eviction. I've been evicted. I um, went to court without a lawyer. I went to court with one. And guess what? I won when I had one. So that was huge. And I needed to make sure that that experience was passed on to my uh, neighbors in Kansas City, that they would have the right to counsel should they ever experience such violence, you know, in our homes. So let me pass it over to Max so he can introduce himself as well. Talk a little bit more about 
name is Mason, you should Patrick. I just go by Mac. I use David pronouns. I'm organized with Casey Feds. Um, Casey Feds has been around since 2019. Um, we believe that those closest to the problems should be closest to the solutions. Um, we're a citywide tenant union, and our organization is led by a multi generational, multi racial, and anti racist group of poor and working tenants in Kansas City. We organize because we believe, I don't see this sit down, I think everybody can hear And we organize under the, uh, the principle that we believe every single person in the city should be living in safe, accessible, and truly affordable homes. So after we formed in 2019, we organized and fought for a tenant's bill of rights in Kansas City, um, which was not existent in a state like Missouri, which many of us refer to as the second place in terms of tenant rights. Um, we've also had other huge policy wins, such as the Tenants' Right to Council last year. Um, we currently have about 4,000 members in our citywide tenant union, and we're currently starting to form neighborhood unions. Um, within our citywide union network, we have two neighborhood unions right now, and our goal this year is to get 10,000 members of like new membership tribe. We have about 1,500 so far. So yeah, that's Casey Tents. So next is uh, LA Tenants uh, Union. We're going to start off with Lizette. Hi everyone. Uh, so my name is Lisette Montes. Uh, she, her, a uh, pronouns. Uh, so I've been with the Tenants Union and part of the Northeast local. We have like 14 locals. Um, and so it's also city-wide. And uh, I've been there for about two years. Uh, a lot of my work started definitely on the ground kind of level, just trying to get in there, trying to understand the layout of the land in terms of the organization. Um, from there, I kind of moved up more to the outreach stuff. I kind of wanted to be a little more involved in helping create and build these locals like intellectual humanity. Um, and then after that, now I'm actually more heavily involved with language justice. So I do a lot of interpreting throughout the union. That's kind of my biggest work at the moment. Um, but yeah, so excited to be here. I'm going to pass it on to my uh, good friend and comrade Renee. <laughs> Hi everyone. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stand up because I can't see some of uh, the folks on this in the panel or, or in the room as well. Hi folks. I'm also a member of the Northeast LA local of the LA Ten Tenants Union that we call Nelo uh, in Spanish and/or English. Uh, that is what I would consider the best part of the LA Tenants Union and of LA. So I recommend all of you go down to Northeast LA whenever you're down there, um, especially if you want good Mexican food. Uh, my name again is Renee Moya. I've been a member of the Tenants Union for quite a number of years at this point. I'm also a member of the School of Echoes, which was one of the collect. It is the collective that founded the LA Tenants Union about seven years ago. Um, that collective really it started uh, as a process of listening. I'm going to actually just introduce the Tenants Union a little bit so we can. Uh, have a little bit of a, a basis for the discussion moving forward, but the Tenants Union was founded by this collective of, of organizers, educators, artists who came together and were asking themselves, well, what are the conditions of the working class in Los Angeles? What are the issues that they're most confronting uh, at the sharpest edge of the wedge, right? Uh, when it came to their day-to-day uh, -day experience. And what we kept on hearing over and over and over and over again during these listening sessions that we had in different parts of the city was the question of gentrification. The fact that people's wages weren't keeping up with their rents, the fact that uh, we were seeing, yes, for example, in poor communities, a lot of violence, but then that the criminalization that would go in tow or hand in hand with that violence would then be used to displace people. So, for example, in Northeast LA, an area that has gentrified quite strongly in the last uh, 10 to 15 years, we saw how gang injunctions were being used by the police and by city officials to evict tenants who were in rent controlled housing but also, I should say, in public housing uh, in different parts of the city. This is actually how a lot of the public housing in South LA with our black and brown communities have been uh, slowly but surely destroyed. So the Tenants Union was founded in response to that crisis. The Tenants Union is an autonomous tenants union. We are funded almost exclusively, in fact, exclusively by membership dues. Uh, we are tenants helping other tenants. Uh, this is the work that we do. Uh, in my experience as an organizer, I have helped lead, co-lead, and or participate in multiple rent strikes uh, across the city, some of which have been successful, some that have not. But all of them have been very, very important in raising the consciousness level of the working class in Los Angeles. They have been, frankly, an inspiration, I hope, to a lot of uh, folks who are fighting on the issue of tenant uh, rights uh, and generally on housing rights in the U.S. The final thing I just wanted to say about kind of what the importance of the, like, uh, the methodology of the tenants union is here that I think I'd like to share is that, you know, we understand tenants as protagonists in the struggle for housing justice. That means that tenants are the subject of our work. 
not houses. We don't consider ourselves a housing justice movement. We're a tenants' rights movement. That means that we organize the person, we organize families, we organize people in buildings. That is uh, what we do. And so if our tenants are facing eviction, we go to trial with them and we fight those evictions and we harangue the, 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 the landlord. If, though, our tenants are facing La Migra, if they're facing ICE, we also make sure to organize against those issues. If they're facing police brutality, we do the same thing. We organize the, the person and not just their buildings because ultimately buildings don't have feelings, people have feelings. So that's who we are. So now we're going to ask three questions and get people a chance to answer. But there are some people in the back of the room. I don't believe there are any more seats. There's actually one seat up here and uh, you're welcome to sit on the floor. Oh, there's a seat over here. If you need a, tra a translation equipment because some people are going to speak in Spanish, please come and get it. All right, great. You just sign in and put the number of the equipment. And if we're having, tr if you're having trouble hearing us, let us know because there's no point in speaking when we can't, we can't hear, we can't hear us. So the first question, which is kind of multi-part, is the cornerstone of our work, as you've already seen, is that people closest to the problem are those who can develop the solution. So how does your organizing work reflect this basic principle? How do organizing tenants move people away from self-blame to understanding the system? And how do you develop leaders? So we're going to start off with uh, Gabriel, Gabriel from uh, City Life, and then two other organizations are just going to build on that a little bit. Yeah, definitely City Life with Urbana, as we some of you are here uh, late. But yeah, we've been around since 1973. It's a great organization. It's changed my life. And um, how do we do the work that we do? Every single day we see families who are coming to City Life calling us, saying that I'm facing eviction. So yes, feelings is important. And also the fact that we are organizing people. So um, we believe that the people most impacted must lead. So City Life Vida Urbana hires from within. The people are leading, like me, had been, have been impacted. So I'm leading the way to the solutions. And also, too, uh, we be leaders because we have a strategy. When folks come in, they don't know that we're going to be able to help them. But because we, City Life has a basic strategy, we call it the sword, the shield, and the offer. So what is the sword? The sword is the opportunity. For the first time I came to City Life, I sat in the back because I had so much shame. Many of our members that come to City Life with so much shame. Again, the reason why I had so much shame, because I said to myself, I should know better. I ought to be able to deal with the bank because I had had so many years of banking experience. I had helped hundreds of families own and acquired new buildings, new uh, homes, but yet I couldn't work with my bank to get a loan modification. That was in 2008, folks. And I'm still fighting the bank today, 2008. Something that should have taken two years or two months has taken 14 years, right? So, but yeah, but so, but because I came to City Life, I was no longer uh, for the last six years. I haven't been fighting by myself. So when we come, we talk about the sword. The sword is our opportunity to empower people. They hear about the sword, the opportunity for the first time at the meeting. They hear, are you willing to fight to save your home, and are you willing to fight to help other people save their home? The first time I heard about, are you willing to fight? I was like, yes, I'm willing to fight. And who do, who's fighting with me? And we hear, if you are willing to fight, guess what? We'll fight with you. So I, that's great empowerment because for many of us, we were taught, you know, this morning I was at church because we had a religious, you know, like religion training. And they talk about how when you, are, when you grow up in an environment where people are telling you, don't fight, be a good girl, be nice. The system creates a lot of fear. And also a lot of shame, as I said. So we learn how to fight. We learn how to fight at City Life. Not only about for ourselves, but for with other people. So we fight with you. And also to City Life, you know, the sword, uh, we do what we call public letters. 
we send out letters to elected officials to let them know what's happening to the community, the constituents that they're quote unquote serving. We let them know what's happening in those environments, what what's happening with those families. It's very important. As you can see, my shirt says, we shall not be moved. I have a sign in front of my house and the sign is in the same color and it says, we shall not be moved. Why is that sign powerful? It's powerful because real estate investors, you know, those crazy people are calling you, asking you if you would like to sell your house as if they have another plan for you as to where you're going to be, right? So when they see that sign, a bank who's trying to evict you or foreclose on you, um, landlord that's trying to evict you, when they see the sign, they know you are no longer by yourself. That's how we build people. We build people and empower them to let them know they're no longer by themselves because city life is there with them. You know, um, we say the people most, impa most impacted must lead because city life, we have the sword, so I just explained the sword, but the shield. We don't do it by ourselves, of course. We have the legal minds. Those folks who are from Greater Boston Legal Services, Harvard Legal Services, and you know other pro bono attorneys who help us a lot. They help us fight at the courthouse. But at the end of the day, we always remind them that this is not their fight only. And we remind our new members when they come, we let them know, listen, I know you come here because somebody told you to come to City Life, to go to City Life for legal help with your case. But we are building a movement and it's very important that you are part of the movement. And it's very important that you don't focus only on the legal aspect of it, but the movement aspect of it. And finally, the offer. So we have the three-legged stool, the sword, the shield, and the offer. And for us, the offer, you know, for me, I got my house back. After I fought back with the bank, fought the bank back, I should say, I got my house back. And for many other family members that I've been, uh, community members that I've been working with, they've been able to get a five-year contract from a bad landlord who's trying to evict them. We fought hard for them and we were able to get them a long-term contract. So it's very important for us that we build leaders and we use the sword, the shield, and the offer. We let them know to leave your shame outside of the door. We let them know that you're not by yourself because you have a community. The community that cares about you and the community that's willing to work with you. Again, I said, when I came to City Life, I was all alone. But now I have a community of people that I care about and a community of people that have been standing with me uh, to help me. But, you know, the key is to pay it forward too. So every single day I pay it forward. So, yeah, we do. Um, I Yeah, there's so much more that I could say. But I just want to say that... Um, we're not a religious group, but every Tuesday when we have a, we have a um, meeting on Tuesday in English, and we have one in Spanish for because we believe in language justice. Hence the reason why you have interpretation here today. When people come together in a room similar to this with over a hundred people together, they feel empowered and they feel loved. They feel a sense of community. So we ask them when we fight, we win. Many times we don't win exactly what they're looking for, but we always win because community is everything and city life is all about community and empowering families. So I'll let it go. And Wow, that was empowerful. I love that, what city life does. In uh, Kansas City, <clears throat> We know our lived experiences, right? You guys know your lived experiences. Does your landlord know your lived experience? Does the politician know that? No, they don't. But they're steady telling us what we need, right? Well, we don't need what they're offering because they're not offering us anything that's good. Um, we, we're, so uh, with that being said, we're tired of the politicians and the landlords telling us what we need. We know that they should actually be listening to us because we know exactly what it is that's going to keep us in our homes, make our community stronger. And um, I never had a problem with self-blame, but I did, did have a problem with um, what I was gonna do, how I was gonna build power. I couldn't do it alone, but when I met KC tenants, over a year ago, I found out 
being with this organization was exactly what I needed to fight the injustices that were put upon me, right? And so I was a lone wolf who tried to fix everything myself and take on politicians by myself, but it didn't work. So then I joined Casey Tenants, as I just said, and I realized that for people like me, our strength comes from numbers and solidarity. When Sabrina Davis is bad, hmm, trust me. But a hundred other people like me are really badass. So, you know, we really uh, bank on that a lot. And I'm a fighter, so I don't give up easy. But let me turn it over to Matt. Or, yeah. Was that? Okay, I'm sorry. Guys, yeah, go for it. Go for it. It's just like, so when it comes to like developing leaders and being people involved in these things, you think of like building powerful multiple different rounds. So one of the easiest ways to get people to contribute right away is by contributing to our narrative power. Just sharing your testimony and story is so powerful because it erodes that shame and you turn that private pain into public power. And then you translate that into fighting policy moves, right? Immediate gains. Sabrina went from speaking to now writing a tenant's right to counsel. And then when you win that, you then have to think about infrastructure power. What do you use to actually maintain and enforce a policy that you win? Sabrina is now on the Tenants Right to Council Committee with the city. So it's like many examples of how you develop leaders step by step process. Um, yeah, I mean, pretty much touching on that, like the only thing that I can add out to that is that within like the LA Tenants Union, one of the biggest things that I think we've developed over the pandemic for sure are these tenant solidarity meetings, um, which did start off, I think, within the Nello tenant local. That's why we're kind of cool. No, I'm just, um, but other than that, uh, so what we did there was that I think we acknowledged that there was a difference between our general meetings and the like big political strategies, right? And like what we needed to get done, what the, what the local was looking to do, as opposed to obviously like what the tenants are currently dealing with and those kind of moments of like crisis for them, right? Um, because we may be at a point in time where our crisis kind of has doled down and that's why we're like on the ground. We're trying to recruit people, you know, we've settled our side so that we can be there for the rest of them. Um, and so it was a way of uh, acknowledging that either we weren't, we were doing one too often or the other too often, right? And it was, the meetings weren't as balanced as we wanted them to be. Um, and so I think that has led to these meetings where they are solely meant for the tenants to come in. It's literally like, I would, I would say it's like a group therapy type of space. And that's what we need, right? We're organizing ourselves as tenants. We're talking about this emotional stuff that we need to deal with because if we're not, then we're not gonna take in the information that we are trying to give ourselves and we are trying to like do. Um, and so it was just one of the, that's like the biggest, I think, motto is just understanding the person, understanding where they're coming from. And at least for the Northeast locals, also understanding the culture that has a lot to do with it, especially the self-blame part. Um, we are in a predominantly like immigrant, Latino kind of populated area. And so a lot of that blame and stuff comes from the fact that like, we are inherently not the bad guy here, right? You know, we are the good guy. But a lot of the times when we talk about radicalness and the things that we need to do to organize, it sounds like we're just kind of stooping to their level. Um, one of the best examples that I have was at a tenant solidarity meeting. They were talking about the possibility of doing some sort of like repair and deduct. Like that's one of our biggest campaigns out there right now too. And you can tell that the tenant was like, I'm not the kind of person that's just going to take my rent money and not pay it. You know, and so that was the mindset. And so we had to get them out of that mindset before we could even pitch the idea of repair and deduct. And so what I did was just essentially remind them that we're not the bad guy. I know it seems bad, like we're taking money from them. But when you break it down, that money you give to them is so that they can do that sort of job. So what you are just doing is you're just saying, fine, you won't do it. So instead of taking the labor on yourself and then still paying your rent, you're going to take the labor. You're going to do what you're going to do. And you're all oh, you're not. You're not essentially like fucking over the landlord. Like if anything, you're just saying, dude, this is the money you're supposed to use. So now I'm just going to use it, get it done. And here's the rest of your rent. You're, you're breaking even as far as I'm concerned. Um, and as soon as that was said, the tenant was like, all right, let's do it. Like tomorrow, who's going to help me? Like, let's go like repair and deduct. Um, and so it's just that, like we have to really, really remind ourselves, like if we were ever in crisis, what were the million and one things that ran into our head? Um, and I think that in and of itself helps us also create and become leaders. So, yeah. So our, our second set of questions.
questions are, what are some of your successful strategies for building power as a collective? And uh, that means organizing at the speed of trust. How do you do this? How have you maintained the, the inclusivity of communities that you've organized? How do you have honest conversations about the differences that just automatically happen? How do you develop members to be able to have these difficult conversations? And why are these conversations important in the first place? So we're going to start off with Renee from uh, LA Tennis. Awesome. Thanks, folks. I mean, there's been a lot that's said that I kind of want to add to in responding to the questions that have been uh, said here. I want to start by saying something very basic, which is that organizing is hard, right? We know that talking to people generally is difficult, especially those who are facing a crisis. I think all of us understand that. We know that. We also know that people will fight. They will bicker. They will do so under stress um, with each other, other members of the community. People come to the table with biases, right? Uh, I like to remind people all the time, I say this as a, as a brown person, as a gay person, look, uh, there are people here who probably don't care too much for who my or what my identity is as a person, right? I also still understand that I have to be able to talk to them and to, and to reach them. We do that, though, through solidarity. We do that through the struggle. In my experience, the only way we've ever been able to in practice break down these barriers is by being able to build that trust through solidarity, through action. So that being said, how is it that we kind of do this? Number one, we do with, we start by, by treating the idea of local organizing as very crucial, right? We organize at the neighborhood level, and then from there, uh, individual tenant organizers, members of the tenants union will take it upon themselves to organize their block, to organize their building. Why? Because we know each other. We see each other um, at, the, at the ground level. Those are the people who are going to have uh, or be able to build the most trust because if nothing else, what you share is your landlord. That, uh, in my mind, has always been something that's been very easy to get people to understand um, that they are working as a collective because they have no choice almost. The other thing is I think that we have to be able to have open conversations with people. Sometimes they're very difficult conversations. You know, recently I attended a meeting with a, a comrade, a Katrina. They were leading a, a, a meeting in South Central Los Angeles that was about the unhoused and how homeless people were camping outside the building. They thought that they were a danger. And they had a three hour long conversation with the tenants uh, to talk about that specific issue, right? About how it is that we relate to them. How is it that capitalism both tries or attempts to displace them as individual tenants, but also puts the people uh, on the streets to begin with? How is it that those people used to be tenants and sometimes uh, homeowners, for example, like Gabriel, who then end up on the streets, right? So I think that that's something very important for us to be able to have those very difficult conversations, not resile ourselves away from them. We have to make spaces accessible. For us in the Tenants Union, language justice isn't just a throwaway principle. It's something that we do on a day-to-day -day basis in every single meeting. All of our meetings begin with a language justice introduction, telling people why we do language justice and why they need to take it seriously. And if people don't take interpretation equipment, we almost take it like a little bit of an offense, like you have to take it because you have to listen to what other people are saying. You have to be able to allow other people to communicate, be understood, and to understand in the language that they prefer. Uh, other things that I'd say, I'm trying to rattle these things off as quickly as popular as as uh, as I can. We we take seriously the idea of popular education in leftist spaces, and I'm saying that I'm throwing it back to y'all as as socialists, as us socialists. We talk a lot about political education. That's great. I think everyone should read Marx. I think everyone should read Lenin. All of that stuff is important for our leaders. They should read all of the canon. They should read people who also look like them, who come from their countries. We should do all of that stuff. But we should start by reaching people from their experience. What is it that they're going through to begin with? You can teach people the world about how capitalism works just by simply asking them, how are you being exploited in your workplace? How are you confronting racism? How are you confronting sexism, patriarchy, uh, homophobia? How is it that you're being displaced? And how does your house itself in some way instantiate that conversation, that battle? An example of that, I met a tenant once who was attempting to move in to a vacant unit uh, in her own building, her cousin with the landlord. The landlord was Mexican. She herself was Mexican-American. Asked the landlord if she could uh, move in her cousin, who was obviously also Mexican. And the landlord responded to her, no, I want to bring in a white tenant because white tenants come with money. 
you can bet your ass that that conversation alone taught that person a lot about what capitalism and racism, racial capitalism do. That conversation from that experience was a way of being able to get to people. So organizing around political or popular education is absolutely crucial. You start from people's experiences to be able to talk to them about it because capitalism is about atomizing individuals. I really, really strongly encourage anyone who wants to talk about socialism to take seriously like the teachings of people like Freire and the like uh, and, and move forward that way. A, a number of folks have also mentioned things like church culture. We, you know, for us, uh, there was someone on a panel that I was on yesterday for the Debt Collective where one of our members uh, talked about uh, bringing joy to organizing. Capitalism crushes us on a day-to-day -day basis. Why are we making our organizing a miserable experience? We need culture, we need joy. I think that is another way in which we build trust. Uh, Gabrielle actually said something that I think was very, very powerful, because we hear it every single day too in the tenants union, which is, I've been told so many times by random tenants that I didn't know how to be a neighbor until I organized with my neighbors. And then I learned how actually being a neighbor uh, meant what it could be, how to build community for it. And so within the tenants union, we do cleanups, for example, of the building where folks will collectively clean their building up. They will go out into the streets and, and sweep the alleys. In the east side local of the Tenants Union, people actually go and occupy space. They will take over allies, uh, alleys and they will project movies onto them and have movie nights in Boyle Heights. That is a way in which we're a, a taking space and saying to people, you don't have to organize yourself into gangs to find community. We also don't need the police to police our communities. We can police them ourselves. Uh, I have one minute left, so I'm going to try to add the last couple of things. The, the final thing that I think is very important, how do we build trust? Get them uh, trust and to understand their power. Get them to a direct action as quickly as possible. Yeah. Tenants are afraid. We've all said this already. People, people are afraid. But you know what? When they're not afraid, when they go to the massive houses or mansions of their landlords and they could go yell at them at their houses and you see the landlord flustered, completely terrified by the, by the presence of the tenants, the direct action from one moment to the next, next changes people's minds. I've never seen a tenant go faster from being meek and scared of their landlord to the very next day after a direct action, yelling at their landlord, yelling at their city council members who don't do shit, to suddenly have to do it. So direct actions are so important in doing that. And then finally, I do want to say that as organizers, and this is something that the Tenants Union confronted as a big barrier to begin with, we had a lot of leftists, a lot of like a lot of organizations in LA that were frankly giving us a lot of shit for this, they would tell us we're putting people in harm's way. And our response was people are already in harm's way. And in not doing that and not allowing them to take risks, if they're demanding to take risk, why are we the organizers being the barrier to that action? And so in the summer of 2020, what we did is I think that the t-shirt that you have, you want to stand it very quickly. That's an actual picture of a tenant leader. Uh, we bought ourselves pliers or what, whatever they're called, they're, yeah, the, yeah. Uh, whatever, bolt cutters, thank you, bolt cutters to be able to go and break tenants in back into their homes. People were getting illegally evicted a lot. We heard of a lot of like nonprofit orgs in South Central that didn't want to do this. We were like, no, fuck that. We're going to like, they're going to try to physically illegally evict the tenants. We're going to illegally break the tenants back into their legal units. And so we did, we would break their locks. We would move them back in. Yet the cops would come and they would literally bring helicopters over my, my own partner, my boyfriend, uh, a number of times. I thought that guy's going to get shot because he's out there at midnight breaking a tenant in and the, the police would come swarming in. We would be on the phone with lawyers, a lot of them who, rep, who really defend or rep the sword and shield model, in fact, as well, who would be on the phone with lawyers, with the, with the cops. But we did whatever it took to take the tenant back in. We took that risk because it was the right thing to do, but it's also the only way in which you can make sure that people see you as the solution, the organization, and socialists, ultimately, to their problems. Quiero hacer una presentación que creo que fue un poco fuera de tiempo de nuestra organización Vida Urbana. Uh, sí, la Vida Urbana es una, una organización radical de base. Eh, las y los organizadores eh, comunitarios somos quienes hemos confrontado el desplazamiento forzado en la nosotros mismos de nuestras comunidades tenemos dos reuniones nosotros nos reunimos dos veces semanales en inglés en español juntamos aproximadamente 100 personas cada vez que nos organizamos este, está bien fuerte muy interesante 
Eh, y en estas reuniones es donde surgen verdaderamente los líderes matutales. Son ellos los que van a llevar el conjunto. Son ellos los que eventualmente son los líderes de la organización. O sea que es muy fuerte y esencial. Eh, otra cosa que nuestra organización es liderada por la mayoría de nosotros somos gente de, de la clase trabajadora, gente que venimos de otros países, muchos de nosotros somos migrantes, este, gente de color, y esa es la estructura de toda nuestra organización. Este, nuestra organización no, eh, es radical y, y fundamentalmente anticapitalista. ¿Por qué digo esto? Porque señalamos al sistema reputativo y a otras formas opresivas utilizando este, este sistema que, eh, que Gabriel definió como la espada y el escudo, que son muy poderosas. En este momento estamos trabajando con 38 asociaciones de en cada una de nuestras reuniones tenemos discusiones políticas eh, donde incentivamos la concientización política, social este, de nuestro pueblo y además este, esto es muy interesante que eh, los, los testimonios les pedimos a la gente que se acerca a nuestra organización este, que dé sus testimonios y estos testimonios son muy poderosos, son las palabras de la gente este, que está enfrentando eh, esto que yo diría es el terrorismo de Estado, es un terrorismo de Estado que es obvio, desplazamiento. Eh, fuimos nosotros los que hemos construido las ciudades. Ayer estuvimos, antes de ayer estuvimos en la ciudad de Chicago, en los grandes edificios, el poder económico de Chicago. Después nos fuimos al barrio mexicano, la visita, lejos. Tuvimos que tomar un Uber y nos llevó a una zona donde casi estaba espantada. Pero llegamos allí y encontramos a la gente. Y ahí me di cuenta que quienes habían realmente edificado en la ciudad de Chicago era la gente que estaba ahí. Fuimos nosotros en Boston. Yo en el año 93 llegué a Boston. Limpié casas, cuidé niños, limpié hoteles. Fuimos nosotros que armamos comunitariamente los, eh, las partes de los sectores de la ciudad que estaban olvidados y de, eran sitios baldíos. Los construimos, hicimos jardines comunitarios, puertas comunitarias. Fuimos nosotros quienes construimos centros comunitarios en Jamaica Play de arte. Comenzamos festivales. Después de todo esto, de la construcción de esta ciudad, que hoy es una de las ciudades más ricas del país, nos desplazaron, nos sacaron de la ciudad, nos forzaron a salirnos de nuestra ciudad. Por eso es que hoy nosotros estamos luchando y no nos moverán. The one thing that I just like really want to stress is just like the magic of community with those direct actions because for you know hundreds of years like our communities have been decimated by capitalism and so it leads to a lot of severe trust issues. It leads to us wanting to punch side to side rather than punch up. So when Casey Tins first started, we kind of had some roadblocks where it was like, oh, we're going to these doors, door to door, having these conversations, talking about a better future. But people didn't really like believe or have trust in that because a lot of people like to talk the talk. Where is walking the walk with that? Um, and we realized the really like efficient way of proving that is by having direct actions. Um, and so in January of 2021, we did eviction, zero eviction January, which was an entire campaign to stop every single eviction that was happening in Jackson County, which is one of the counties in Kansas City, Missouri, in the midst of the global pandemic. And what we did was we did a lot, a lot of trainings for accessibility to make sure that everybody could contribute to those actions, the Zoom trainings, or the Zoom disruptions that we did to stop the evictions over Zoom. We did trainings over how to do ride-sharing plans, food-sharing plans for people who were chaining themselves to the courthouse doors. We also did legal trainings, what are your rights if you're going to do something like that. 
Um, a lot of people like sometimes want to rush straight into a direct action, but a lot of the magic comes actually from the planning of that and showing that you actually trust and care about the people that you're doing these actions with. Because if you're about to chain yourself to the doors with like a stranger, you're going to be scared. And sometimes it's not going to really be powerful, right? But if you spend a week really going through all the details and plans and scenarios to the point where you actually trust your comrades before you chain yourselves to do something like that, you end up leaving that action, whether you get a victory or not, with your own victory of community, your own victory of trust, that can then take you to the next action after. So on our third question, we're also going to have Matt uh, be the, uh, the lead person. Um, and, and I think we're going on a little bit too long, but I think it's because there's such a richness in the experience. So our third question is, how do you manage the tension between the demands of everyday organizing and developing political analysis, their socialist understanding of capitalism, their anti-capitalist understanding of their situation, and the alternatives to it? So Matt? Yeah. I think it's really easy for us sometimes to fall into like this binary dynamic of like either or, right? Like that is like littered through America in like so many different ways. Um, and like when you're organizing on a day-to-day -day basis with your community, sometimes you fall into this trap of like, oh, we can only move and respond and react all the time and not actually be proactive. But the answer is always usually both, right? It's yes and. Yes, we can respond to crisis and react and add that to the narrative of like the beautiful future that we want, right? So for an example is like Casey Tennant's has a North Star vision that all of us are fighting for and the group has decided that, that North Star vision really is like municipal social housing. So anytime a tenant gets evicted, anytime a ceiling collapses onto a tenant, we use that as another reason of like why we need stronger municipal social housing that is actually run and controlled and considered with the tenants who live there. Another thing that like we really stress within KC Tenants is this idea of like, what can we do today so that tomorrow we can do what we cannot do today? Right. So today you could not organize the way that you wanted to because let's say you were evicted or because we do not have a team set up or an accessible mean to do that. Right. OK, let's lean into that tension. All of our meetings have a space for us to lean into those tensions and say, hey, yeah, I as an organizer messing up in this realm. Right. Kind of lacking behind on this realm. But how can we actually come together to build a community to address that tension so that tomorrow we don't have to deal with that anymore? Um, Another thing that I really want to add to is like when just talking about sharpening like political analysis, this is kind of already been said, but I really want to stress this, especially with like poor and working people in Kansas City, Missouri. We really have to meet people where they're at emotionally. When you go to the doors, it doesn't really work to talk about Marx, Trotsky, etc. It actually really works to ask people like, how are you feeling today? How does it feel that over half of your income is being used for rent? How does it feel that you don't know any of your neighbors, right? And when you actually talk about emotions and actually get vulnerable with people, right? I feel like sometimes there's this tendency to like to be an organizer, to be a socialist. Um, you have to be like super militant all the time, which is a respectful like aspect. But I think the other strength of that too is like you also have to be vulnerable and you have to be real and you have to be able to tell people, I don't know, I messed up or like I am scared and I'm scared along with you. But hope is about taking that fear, right? Taking that shame that some of us feel, combining that as a collective and transforming that into like action and power, right? Um, and so when we go to those doors and we have these meetings, we really learn that time and time again, like people's hearts are currently on fire, especially with like the COVID pandemic, like really showcasing like how crucial housing is. Like people are burning for love within their communities it's burning for power within their communities and it's up to tenant unions and organizers to really like stoke that flame and ignite that with stories with direct actions with also celebration right like sometimes we get so caught in the weeds of like how terrible the system in the world is that we forget to actually celebrate the victories you know uh, a really good example is you know casey tennis has like a monthly mega canvas where we knock on over a thousand doors just like in one day and we realized afterwards like a lot of people are out for hours canvassing bringing in new members, having like really great discussions, but there wasn't really a space to celebrate that, right? So it's like, okay, let's actually have a movie screening, right? Let's have a board game night. Let's have like really great food made from neighbors of different like neighborhoods that are coming through and showcasing, this is what our culture is into. Oh, this is what our culture is into. 
And we discovered like on that day, a lot of people came back to the next meeting, right? Because they realized one, I can actually have fun and I can enjoy doing this too, right? Like there needs to be a fun and like a success aspect of like, oh, okay, like I actually really like the things that I do. It's not always like, you know, like putting your nose to the grindstone. Um, but it also provides a space for people to really to get to know each other because it's not always about leaning into the bad all the time. It's also about leaning into the good a lot of the time and realizing that life comes with a lot of hits and you're going to fall. But hopefully when you fall, you're going to have someone like Sabrina or these other or like really strong organizations to help pick you up. So, yeah. The only thing I was going to say that I'm really glad that that was brought up about that tension. Oh, sorry. Yeah. About that tension, which is that, and I, I hate this. I see it all the time. There's always like these dumb debates on social media and in, you know, whatever, even in like in theoretical magazines about this, where it's like, you know, uh, there's like a false binary that's drawn up basically between you building for socialism as, as opposed to you building the movements, right? Mm -hmm. Do we do movement work or do we build the movement of movements, right? And my response to that is to say that, and you, you see this tension in this discussion, I have to say in a really awful way, it happened during the BLM actions in 2020. It happened a lot whenever we talk about abolition, whenever we talk about immigration work, whenever we talk about housing. I've had socialists tell me, why do you care about housing? We should be doing socialism. And it's like, what the hell do you think that is that we're doing, right? <laughs> to me, honestly, that reveals a very basic tension. Some people like to talk left and act right. And then there are people who like to talk left, do nothing, right? They like to not, not do anything whatsoever. And to me, it's about if we're going to actually build the movement of movements, right? If you really want to do that, you have to start by transforming people's subjectivities, their understanding of the world, not to change their mind about things. It's about just letting them connect the dots about the, the, the experiences they're having on a day-to-day -day basis and say, well, isn't it funny that we're seeing this in other areas of your life as well? And isn't it funny that every time we try to have some form of change to stop those things, there are these big institutional barriers to those things. Isn't that a, a, a funny sort of experience? That again is where the popular education and the joy building and the institution building comes down to, or it starts with. And from there, we start to be able to have those deeper conversations. So I just wanted to like, again, deepen or, or reiterate the point that I made earlier. Let's not talk about these binaries about like building movements as opposed to building socialism. They're both, and that's actually, I should say something that I think Ruth Wilson uh, Gilmore yesterday put so eloquently when she described abolition as small c communism. To me, being able to keep people in their homes is small c communism as well. All we have to do is to get people to feel comfortable saying that aloud. Yeah. I, I just want to say quickly that not only do we, do we have a strategy, but we have a method, and it's very similar to your methods. And I always think of city life as you come in as a caterpillar and you turn into a beautiful butterfly. And the way we do it is sometimes you come in, sometimes we go many times, we go after you. We go door knocking. So we have the five masses at city life. The first mass is the mass outreach. We go door knocking. So we find large buildings and communities that we know that are going to be gentrified, communities that we've heard that people are going to be displaced buildings that we know that we see are changing hands. So we go and reach out to those families. Many times they're like, what, what city life? Oh, never heard of this. What is this? Is this communism? <laughs> is, this, is this socialism? Yes, it's all of the above. <laughs> it's love for your neighbor. Yes. So we do that. And then we, once we have them, we, we meet with them. Mass meetings is our next, next, um, next uh, thing that we do. And of course, action. You know, people do morph into something different when they go to an event. I remember the first time I went to an action and I was like, am I safe? Am I going to be safe? Is the police going to hurt me? You know, because you hear, you see stuff on TV. But it's amazing how you get empowered, you know, especially for those who have a story. All of them have stories, but compelling stories. We get them to speak on the microphone. Like, I'm Gabrielle. I just got evicted. Or I'm Gabrielle. I'm facing eviction. It's very powerful because, again, I love what you did yesterday. You quiet by yourself, and then when you have, when you're able to convey and share your story, it's very powerful. And then once we're done with the mass, mass actions, we do political discussions. So the butterfly, you know, nowadays I feel very empowered because of the 
of what we've learned at City Life. You know, you go to school. I went to the universities, you know, the bad education that we all get about <laughs> capitalism, how we need to get, 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 get. And then you come to City Life and you hear that you need to care for the least of these among us. And that you need to care for your neighbors. And that it's not about profit, it's about people. People over profit. So we have a training called 100 Cadre. And that's a very powerful training. We really challenge. We do radical analysis of the real estate market. You know? Um, so I'll give you a final example. I organize in a community in Boston. Boston has like, I don't know, five or seven, eight balls. They call them neighborhoods. And one of the neighborhoods that I'm organizing in, so you heard we have 38 different tenant associations. So my tenant association that I work with, two of them are in the neighborhood of Mattapin. And Mattapin, the reason Mattapin has become a target in the last few years, oh, it started a long time ago, but so more so in the last few years because the community, I live down the street from there in a different neighborhood, but down the street from uh, Mattapin. And the community fought, I was part of a church for 20 years. I remember meeting with our community members, fighting so long and hard because we had a commuter rail, a train station that would come through the city and never stopped. You know, you hear the noise, but okay, I need to get to Boston. I had to take two, three buses to get to Boston. So because of that, the community leaders decided, you know what? We want to have a few stops in our neighborhood that will help us, that will empower us, give us access to jobs that we don't have access to now because it's taking an hour and a half to get to work. And you know, Boston, we have winter time, right? So folks worked real hard. And of course, a few years ago, we uh, those stations opened up and these greedy corporate landlords, these greedy um, you know, greedy investors, they all decided that this would be a, their targeted market uh, as of right now. And they're pushing people out. And that's why going to reach out to families and letting them know, you have rights, we shall not be moved. And that you have sweat equity here because the work, the reason why the community has value now and it's attractive now is because of the work that you did. So you have a stake in this community. You don't have to be ashamed. The fact that they're asking you for $2,000 for one bedroom that you used to pay $1,600 or $1,400 for. You don't have to be ashamed that you don't have that money. You can fight so you can have the collective bargaining that we need so you can stay in your community. But our ultimate goal at City Life is to buy our community so that we can have social housing. Because housing is a human right. I don't know about you, but if you don't have a place to stay, if you don't have a safe and habitable and affordable place to stay, you cannot do anything. You cannot even be a friend. I know I wasn't a friend for many years. I couldn't even be a daughter. You know how many Christmas I, I missed out? I was too ashamed to even go to my family because I didn't want them to know my business. I was ashamed. So housing is a human right. We need to fight for affordable, um, habitable, but social housing. We're fighting for rent control in Boston, but at City Life, we say that's just a, a step towards the ultimate goal of having social housing, housing for all. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, subscribe to our podcast and to the Haymarket Books YouTube channel, where events like this one are hosted live. And don't forget to check out haymarketbooks.org.